Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Wait, I almost said it's a Star Trek podcast from the makers of the Greatest Generation. That would have been recursive. That's also true. That's ATM <laughs> machine. Yeah, but it's like, uh, yeah, it's a tautology. Gratis. Three gratis. Can't do that. Yeah. Then new listeners would know what idiots we were right from jump. A tauntonology is is a tautology you can cut open and sleep inside. Yeah, it's a tautology that smells as bad on the inside as it does on the outside. Yep. Good luck for me, Al, that you have such a keen editorial sense. We've been trying to get some work done, and you keep having to pop up and, uh, and deal with workmen at your house. I mean, let me just say this, Ben. I don't recommend mm. having your sewer work done. At any point in time, if you can help it. Is that a biological analogy that you're making there? It would appear as though uh, I am a great tax on a home's sewer system. <laughs> and uh, it's led us to this point where things are getting dug up, attached, and jetted. Yeah. And then cemented over again. It's been a you're, long process. Your neighbors must be so excited. To my knowledge, it is me and the guy across the street are work from homers, and then most everyone else uh, have jobs where they leave the house. So hopefully I was only a distraction for that guy. As far as I can tell, everyone in my neighborhood works from home. (laughs) (laughs) That's insane. Yeah. I don't know why we're all paying these crazy rents if we just work in our house. Yeah. Well, I got the place to myself today, Adam, because my wife just left for Palm Springs. Hey, that sounds pretty nice. I like Palm Springs. It's a bachelorette weekend in Palm Springs in August. (laughs) (laughs) Well planned. Is it a billion degrees there? Yeah, it's like just shy of one billion, I think. I mean, we just did uh, we just did a uh, a weekend hang in outside of Atlanta in August, and that wasn't terribly oppressive. A hundred degrees feels a lot different when you're in a lake and you've got an ice cold beer in your hand. Yeah, I think you've got mitigating factors there. Yeah, I don't think that they're going to be getting in the Salton Sea on a bachelorette weekend. No, <laughs> the tilapia will eat you alive. Yeah, this is coming out in uh, October. Yeah, I think our tour will be upcoming pretty soon at this point. That's right. If all goes according to plan, a couple weeks from this episode, we will be back out on the road. We are way out ahead of our skis in terms of uh, recording, which is good because we want we want to put all, all of our focus on the tour when the tour happens. Yeah, so if you're listening to this episode and, and we've been tragically killed months ago... <laughs> Uh, thank you. That's for... why you're here. You're hearing this now. <laughs> Do you think we should put something like in our wills that Rob has to finish editing all the recorded material? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and I think a lot of people make this mistake because Rob is the producer and editor of The Greatest Discovery and Friendly Fire. And I think a lot of people mistakenly think he has 
uh, a hand in your weekly Greatest yeah. Gen episode as well. Yeah, whenever anyone hears an edit they like on the Greatest Gen, they automatically attribute it to Rob, which is a great yeah. compliment to Rob, but also... Nice to see him getting our compliments. <laughs> yeah, but also we have never not edited Greatest Gen. But I think in the in the event of our untimely demise, Rob should should edit the rest of of what's there. And I just picture him weeping while he edits. Ben, we should record Tasha Yar like uh, <laughs> self eulogies. <laughs> that can and be look, turned into an episode. Look around the room and make eye contact with all of our viewers <laughs> and say why they were special to us. No goodbyes. Just good memories. It'd be funny if we like dead man switched it so that like we have to do a certain thing online to keep that episode from going out. Yeah, one of my favorite podcasts is Seven Second Delay. It's a super long running show on WFMU, uh-huh. and uh, it's I think it's been on the air for like almost thirty years now. And they occasionally will record an obituary episode for somebody that's not dead yet, and then like <laughs> hang it on the wall of the studio and say like break glass in case Bob Dylan dies. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> But so they record the episode like with all of the sincerity of Bob Dylan has dead is dead and then <laughs> so if you tuned in that you know the week that they recorded it and broadcast it you might think that Bob Dylan had died. That is amazing. Yeah. It's really funny. It's a funny show. We should do that for us, shouldn't we? I mean it makes you think about like what Tasha Yar's life was like that she she had that current a recorded self-eulogy. It's got to just be a regular chore, right? Right. I mean, all of your like, all of your house chores are kind of automated at this point in the future, right? Like, you don't have to like pick your socks up off the floor unless you're Chief O'Brien, and your wife has made like a big deal about it. It's a chore that really punishes procrastinators, Ben. Because I know <laughs> the eulogy they would play for me would be many years outdated. <laughs> Like thanking a girlfriend I had 15 years ago. <laughs> Your wife just has yeah. to sit there through. <laughs> Extremely bad look. Yeah. Good thing your wife isn't Worf. Yeah. I, Jealous I, lover Worf. I think that every day. <laughs> How grateful I am about that. <laughs> well, uh, do you want to pivot to episode? Yeah, we've got to do that. Let's stop talking about things in the past, Ben, and instead talk about Deep Space Nine Season 5, Episode 8, Things Past. Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. Let's all go out on a runabout again, the show says. Yeah. There's a pattern developing here that pattern is runabout right and in this case it is uh, a runabout with garrick who is freshly out of prison for committing sabotage and assaulting Worf in the broken link episode right uh along with dax cisco and odo and they're on their way back from a conference yeah uh-oh this is like the third episode this season i feel like that has run about from a conference danger if i'd known what i was walking into i never would have gone it feels like if you are a room that is breaking a season and you're looking at things like from high altitude that yeah. ten thousand foot view of of your creative output uh some patterns will emerge right 
patterns that you would want to remove. Like, Why do they not see the conference thing as being a little overdone? I don't know. Strange. Yeah. It's cheap. That's what it is, right? Yeah. When you're coming back from a place that you don't have to look at, that's a cheap intro. The complaint Garrick has is that uh, he was not seen as a welcome influence on this Bajoran history conference. History of the occupation, I guess, is what they were talking about. Right. He's been sort of occupation truther (laughs) at the conference, I think. Yeah, he kind of both sides it at this conference, and that was a very unwelcome position. Yeah, he he was kind of Ben Shapiroing everybody, like, debate me, coward. Right. Was his watchword. Yeah, no one likes that, Garrick. No, nobody likes Ben Shapiro. Nope. There is a very fun edit happening here, and we should mention this is a... uh, episode directed by LeVar Burton. Bullshit, man. It's just bullshit. But like, they do that thing where, uh, you know, a plane is cleared to land and you're in the cockpit and you're seeing what they're doing to make that happen. Then you cut over to the tower and the tower in this instance is Deep Space Nine. And they pick up the runabout coming in and it's on autopilot and everyone's been knocked out. Yeah. It's a scary scene. Dr. Bashir to transporter room five, medical emergency. I really like that. There, there's not the scene where you see them get knocked out. It's a lot is left to your imagination. Like what happened in between the last time we saw the awake and conscious runabout crew versus what we see in ops. But, uh, but yeah, it's Worf and like a a Bajoran air traffic controller dealing with the fact that this runabout is coming in hot with knocked out occupants. I wonder if they ever considered the runabout being on a collision course. Yeah, I kind of thought that there was probably some call for like getting a tractor beam involved uh-huh. or scrambling another ship to move it into a slightly different trajectory so it doesn't just like slam into landing pad one at, you know, full impulse or whatever. Yeah, I mean, but the moment that this is revealed to be a medical emergency... Uh, their treatment of the situation is totally different. Uh, it's right. Bashir and Worf that transport aboard the runabout and and see everyone slumped over their stations. It's a bad luck. And then Cisco wakes up. He's uh, leaning up against some barrels on the promenade with Odo. A lot of bedraggled Bajorans walking around. The lighting is totally different. It could be only one thing, Adam. The mirror universe. <laughs> Yeah, where's Catsuit Kira? <laughs> but it's not the mirror universe. It's the past. That's right. It's uh, it's Terok Nor during the Cardassian occupation. Do you think that the past is the mirror universe? Do you think the barrels are full of Kinar? <laughs> they wouldn't leave that much Kinar out for just a bunch of bedraggleds to get at. Yeah, you can't do that. Do you think you're making toilet Kinar if you're on that station? <laughs> Kruno is what it could be called. The, the Bajorans have their own booze. They probably don't want Kanar, is what I'm saying. Yeah, that'd be no good. For a lot of reasons, they wouldn't want to drink that stuff. We cut back to the infirmary, and the crew has been taken off of the runabout and then placed onto some beds with clip show devices over their heads. And this is a bad sign. Yeah, these are an innovative new kind of clip show device that uh, can actually give you new clips that you haven't seen before. Yeah, I was I was recoiling from the TV when I saw these things. <laughs> yeah, but don't worry. New clips. Yeah, new clips are good. Uh, Bashir can't explain why a simple plasma storm would do this to the crew, and 
he has uh, a stack of 5,000 academic articles to read. 5,021. Uh, to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. He's keeping it light. <laughs> he's got a serious medical emergency and he's being flip about how much research he's got to do. I love it. Yeah. It's got some of the same techno babble as inner light, I think. Like, yeah. you know, like they're, they're unconscious, but there's kind of a lot of activity going on in their heads that he can't explain. And on Tirak Noor, DS9 of the past, the, uh, the group, Cisco, Garrick, Dax, and Odo, uh, are not getting made as like unusual presences in the Bajoran section of the station. Like people are not reacting to Garrick as though he's a Cardassian. People are not weirded out by Odo or Dax or, or Cisco being not Bajoran. It's kind of a quantum leap situation where they see themselves and each other as as what we know them as, but everybody else sees them as Bajorans that are just as bedraggled as anyone else. They do not give us the quantum leap shot of looking into a puddle yeah, or, or a mirror or whatever. I wondered about the decision. I mean, I think it, it works without it. Yeah, no, I agree. But in, in a television show where so often we're, we're shown them in Klingon drag or we're right. shown an Avisator made up to be a Cardassian, like it's a choice. Eventually, Garrick gets a hold of a Cardassian iPad and gets photos of them. And they're not even, it's not even like a guy that looks like Cisco but with a Bajoran nose. It's like a different dude entirely. Right. It's just a plain white guy. Just a, a fucking Chad. That's what he looks like. <laughs> yeah. They're a bunch of Rakanthans, Adam. Hmm. They're from Rakantha province. Yeah. And uh, they start rattling off the names. And Odo knows these names. How'd you know that? Yeah, it's almost like Odo's, Odo's finishing Garrick's sentences when he's reading out uh, the roll call of them. And Odo knows the name of his own doppelganger before it's even read. Yeah. So that's weird. Yeah, these are some dudes that got falsely accused, convicted, and executed for uh, an attempt on Gul Dukat's life. So this circumstance combined with Odo's hallucinations combined to make Odo kind of a haunted figure throughout this episode. He he bumps into a Bajoran zombie. Yeah. And he is just totally frazzled by his circumstances. Keep seeing deceased Bajorans walking around. Yeah. Uh Dax gets uh, gets grabbed by some Cardassians and taken to be sort of like a comfort woman for Gul Dukat and uh in trying to stick up for her, Garrick gets uh, gets popped in the nose. We cut back to the infirmary, and he's got blood streaming down his nose. So there's also a little bit of a Matrix mechanic at right. play here. There is very little cutting back and forth after this moment, because this is the scene that makes the case that the connection is such between the two worlds that like any sort of attempt to separate them from what's going on in their brains could result in their deaths so Bashir's got to kind of leave him alone yeah. from this point forward and the show kind of does too it's the moment where I began to worry that this was just all going to be a dream mm-hmm. and uh, that worry was well founded the remaining crew get rounded up and put behind the gate the gate that exists in Terak Noor of this time period and uh, it isn't long before Quark appears to recruit them to work at his bar, because that's what he does Yeah. for waiters. 
Quark's vibe is much more evil in this episode. It made me think a lot about how much intentionality there was or wasn't in the massaging him into a likable character. Because I think at this point in season five, Quark has done some really bad things in the past, but he's not like currently doing really bad things. Like Worf is currently way more an agent of chaos on the station than than Quark is. You know, it's interesting you say that about Quark because I didn't see him as any different than how he is at any other point. He's he's paying slave wages for restaurant employees at his workplace, and that seems like a version of him that we'd see at any time period. Well, yeah, except for now he's like, his his employees are unionized and he's off the Ferengi sphere of commerce. I think he was substantially eviler seeming in this. Hmm. He doesn't get a lot of time in this episode, I would say. Yeah. It's okay if you disagree, but you're wrong. Mm. We cut over to uh, Gul Dukat's quarters and see what's going on with Dax. Uh, Dax, as comfort... <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> as, as comfort Dax, uh, she is brought in to pour a couple of glasses of Kinar. Yeah. Uh, she introduces herself as Lita... And Dukat <laughs> introduces himself as someone who just wants a friend to talk to. Yeah. Makes the case that he's just a chill man, that he's not a bad person. Ironic, isn't it? Dax is super shaky in this scene, and it made me wonder whether or not that nervousness was an act or was that real. That was one of my notes, was I, I wasn't sure if this was a put on or if she was genuinely really scared about what was going to happen. I think that question gets answered later on when uh, Dax drops that axe handle on his neck later. Yeah. I think this is an act. Yeah, because we know that she's a badass, but she yeah. she's very, like, her shoulders are rolled forward. She's, you know, unsure of which bottle to pick up. Her plumage is dirty. Yeah. And unkempt. She does that thing where she has to hold the glass with both hands. Uh, we cut back to Quark's, and Garrick is really bitching about this line of work. Yeah. It is unbecoming of a tailor. He's really, uh, he's really being forced to check his privilege, realizing that the, uh, that the occupation wasn't so nice for the Bajorans involved. Everyone's growing a little bit suspicious of Odo's behavior because he's seeing more and more of these visions. And yeah. also that whole thing about Odo knowing their names before them being they were being read sort of catches Cisco's attention and so he asks him how did you know your name would be Timor Landy in this this whatever this is there's a recency bias here but the tri- the trials and tribulations epi- episode was not long ago and they've there's been some discussion of the timeline like whether they're going to fuck the timeline up or not if they kill Gul Dukat or whatever <laughs> And they start to realize that the timeline is, in fact, already fucked up because at this point uh, in history, like, they can figure out basically what year it is. And at this point, Odo was already the head of security on the station. But in this version of the timeline that they're in, in fact, Thrax is the head of security on the station. And Thrax is played by one of the all-time that guys, Kurtwood Smith. Can you fly, Bobby? I love Kurtwood Smith. Ben, I never approached this with that in mind. The whole idea of a polluted timeline uh, never occurred to me, but that makes the mystery of where they are and why things are different so much more interesting. Had I been considering that, that's a really good note. 
Oh, and the, well, there's definitely a couple of lines about it in the script. But but I didn't think that this episode pointed directly to that other episode. It's not super overt, but I could feel the tension of it, especially in the way Avery Brooks is behaving. Yeah. The stakes get raised in this scene because they learn that their identities are those of three people that were executed on the station. And uh, it sort of creates a lot of discomfort because if they are people who have been accused of, of attempting to assassinate Gul Dukat, uh, it's only going to be a matter of time before that same assumption is made about them. Right. So their lives are in danger. Their lives are in danger, and this is something that Odo has been hinting at the entire time, and finally kind of just comes clean. It's like, yeah, like like we're all going to be executed if if we don't get the fuck out of here. Cool, Odo. <laughs> like, way to keep that to yourself up until now. Yeah. He knows, and he knew the entire time. Yeah. And it's only upon being pressed that he says so. Kerwood Smith is great as Thrax. You're right. Yeah. We get a little scene between him and Quark just to kind of get a sense of like where he's at as an investigator. And the menace of of him as the kind of Cardassian predecessor to what Odo became is uh, is very evident. Like Kurtwood Smith is great at, you know, being the scary dad. Scary dad is something that Cardassians frequently are, right? And there's something about Kurtwood Smith, I think. Uh, you know, you take a look at his filmography. Yeah. Uh, he's especially great at portraying that. But also, like, if you're a makeup artist and you've got Kurtwood Smith in the chair. Yeah. Like, he's got the Sistine Chapel of foreheads. Like, I know. You get... I- you got to be so jacked to put loaf on it, right? The loaf looks so much better on him than it does on so many people. Yeah. Like, he really... He's, he's made for it. He fucking comes right through that loaf. It's so perfect. So Cisco is like, all right, I think I can, I think I can get us off the station. I know how to get in touch with the Bajoran resistance, and uh, we'll just we'll tell them the situation. You know, they got to be nice guys being the resistance, our, you know, our natural allies. So, uh, so we'll do it. So what they do is they uh, they head back to the Bajoran section, and the signal for we want a meeting with the Bajoran resistance is you go up to this stall that's selling, like, teapots and vases and stuff. You take a look at a vase, and then you put it back down, upside down. And then you go get a meal, and uh, the Bajoran resistance guy comes up and is like, I fucking hate the soup that they sell at this stall, so you better make it quick. I thought that was going to be part of the code, like... like <laughs> You have to say something in response to a guy hating his soup. Yeah, which, like, well, I hate sandwiches, so we have that in common. (laughs) Would you like any croutons? (laughs) It helps the flavor. How do you feel about stews? (laughs) Still still too liquidy? This guy's great. Yeah. Uh, Excellence in casting in this episode, I think, because Resistance Man sits down and uh, starts dropping racial slurs on, on the Cardassians. If you've killed one of the Spoonheads. Spoonheads! Uh, Garrick takes great umbrage with the slur, which I really enjoyed. But they don't get to sit with their soup very long before an explosion knocks Dax off of her feet. Yeah, uh, Gulducat and Dax have kind of like come down to just kind of take a look at the Bajoran section, and that's when the explosion rips through the place, and... Cisco is very worried about Dax and so runs runs into the fray, runs to her side, 
And uh, that's when a bunch of Cardassian guards uh, train their rifles on him. And the jig is up. They're, everybody gets arrested. Why is Odo having hallucinations and no one questioning him about them? Because during this scene, the soup scene, Odo gets carry hands and starts <laughs> freaking out. Yeah. And no one says anything to him about it. Right. This happens constantly throughout this episode. They're like, you going to be all right, Odo? He's like, I'll be fine. Cisco's like, they're all going to laugh at you. (laughs) They're all going to laugh at you. It's tough because instinctually you want to run to Dax, who is down and injured. But, you know, by doing that, it makes them suspicious. And it is in that suspicion that Cisco and Garrick and Odo are thrown into the brig. So we get the uh, pan around the brig, and this is a time in the history of Deep Space Nine when the brig was a much more crowded place. Right. Uh, all three cells have people in them, but they get the, the three of them get their own cells. Garrick is making the case that, like, hey, we should get like we should get like first class cells. We're real bad dudes. Like, why are we not in our own in our own section? Garrick might even deserve an incel. <laughs> <laughs> For all the help he's been. Boom. <laughs> yeah, interesting to be here in this moment. And Thrax is there too, and you get to see a, a bit of his business. He's there doling out sentences, and he is hyper-expedient with them. Yeah, it's kind of like the mail call scene in a war movie, except for yeah. it's like, you're getting executed at uh, 5 o'clock, you're getting executed at 7 o'clock. Right. (laughs) Like, you're going to be put in a hard labor camp at 8 o'clock. When he turns his attention to our gang, we find that they're being accused of attempting to assassinate Gul Dukat. And uh, he's got a bunch of evidence, but this is circumstantial, and Odo is beginning to freak out even more than usual for this episode. He's imploring him to do better investigatory work, and he's being hyper-specific about things. If you examine the fragmentation dispersal pattern, you'll find that we couldn't have thrown the grenade. Yeah. Odo has no chill in this scene. He he goes, he's at a 10 when he starts yelling at Thrax and stays at a 10. You know, if you're a cop and you've got a suspect in a cell that you think did uh you know did a terrorist act and they start telling you like this level of specificity about why the evidence doesn't point to them how do you how do you interpret it as anything but the plan was that the evidence won't point to us right (laughs) you know this unhinged odo is kind of a joy to watch though like contextually it does not work one bit because Cisco has really lost his grip on his crew here. Yeah. He's unable to rein him in, and he's really uh, not curious about what's going on with Odo until it's too late, I think. Pardon the pun, but Odo's such a solid dude so mm-hmm. much of the time that you kind of forgive Cisco for assuming he will continue to be that. Well, this is a pattern with Cisco, isn't it? Where he's a little too trusting of people and a little too incurious. Uh, of their motivations, and it often gets him into trouble. Yeah. This is why I give him a needs improvement as a Starfleet captain. (laughs) Do you think he might be the Peter Principle of Starfleet captains? He sort of stayed as a commander? I like him a whole lot. He's he's not had a good season, I think, in season five. Well, he's got plenty of season five to get better. Yeah, maybe come next review time, 
uh, I'll have better things to say. Thrax is a more Odo-like investigator than I expected. He does have a lot of evidence to point to them and is fairly persuaded by it, but is also interested in getting to the bottom of everything. Right. And I think that that's like the main thing about Odo is like he doesn't want to he doesn't want to not know. Yeah, he can't help himself, right? And it's weird because Thrax doesn't just tell Odo to fuck off like he could. Right. He seems open-minded enough to not do that. And even later on, he sort of invites Odo into his security office to have a chat about things. Right. I think the case being made here is that Odo, like, this is what made Odo the dogged investigator that he is. In Ducat's quarters, uh, Dax and him are discussing what happened, this whole failed assassination thing. Uh, while Dax chows down on a plate just full of watermelon. Yeah, she's eating watermelon. <laughs> yeah, she's loving it. Her circumstances are pretty good, comparatively. Yeah, she's... And uh, she is completely in the dark, I think, about all of it. Like, she's yeah. not going to be executed no matter what. And and might not even have really known if Gul Dukat hadn't blabbed off about it. So she Kirk chaps him. <laughs> Knocks him out and gets on the computer and uh, fairly swiftly is mounting a rescue attempt trying to break Cisco, Garrick, and Odo out of the Huskow. <laughs> Cisco is just starting to become curious about Odo and Thrax. He's kind of gone past curious and is, is, is basically accusatory at this point. You're implying that I should know the answers, that I'm holding back information? Right, because they're understanding that this may not be timeline pollution. Like, why is it Thrax and not Odo? Is there an Odo that's going to appear here in this weird timeline? They're, like, peppering Odo with a bunch of questions, and he just doesn't have any answers, and it's at that point that Dax burns through the door. It's jailbreak law to peek your head through the hole you've made in the in the cell block wall, right? Miss me? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> do you think there are jailbreaks where that doesn't happen and the and the people inside are like, can you just do that again, but <laughs> stick your head through the through the hole? It's not going to feel right if you don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I know I would feel really let down by that. At day, Cisco, Odo, and Garrick crawled through 500 feet of Cardassian shit and came out smelling clean on the other side. Oof. What do you think Cardassian shit smells like? Not good, Adam. Not good. No. They're heading down some hallways. They're getting in some laser fights with some Cardassians. And I, I love when Cardassians get in physical fights because their hair gets must, which is normally so perfect. And I, I wasn't positive that it was... Thrax, but one of them is wearing the same shit as Thrax, and then he goes gold. Yeah, I think it was Thrax. But what's weird about this person's identity is the Thrax scene that happens later between Odo and him, and Odo never mentions it. Yeah, a couple of things that uh, the script could have just had, like, uh, oh yeah, like this will come up in people's heads. Yeah. <laughs> we should probably write something about it. Yeah. Not a Swiss watch, this script. 
it's a fun action scene and the payoff is really spectacularly disappointing because like they make it all the way to the shuttle they do some beat-em-ups they get through the shuttle door and like this is a nice edit here because they turn around they look at the inside of the shuttle they think they're in and on the turn we've cut back into the brig i love it it's not even a camera trick there's nothing flashy about it now and i think that this is the sign of a, a very confident director and lavar burton like it is Cisco will stand there, we'll have half a beat where a look of confusion comes over his face, and when the camera cuts, we're in the cell, and everybody knows what's going on. That's just where they are now. You don't need an effect for it. It's, yeah. uh, it's made in the edit. It's great. It's really nice. This is where Cisco really turns on Odo. Everything seems to lead back to you, and I want to know why. Yeah, and it's where Odo's grown more and more shaken. Yeah. He's in a bad place, for sure. He seems super guilty at this point. Like right. he is he's consumed with guilt and and it almost seems like the episode is trying to imply that like this is something that Odo is doing to them. I know I felt that way when I was watching. Yeah. And you wonder like is this a gold that's impersonating Odo and that's what's going on or did Odo like meet somebody at that conference that they were at and get tricked into something what's going on like I mean we know the that the founders methods can occasionally veer into hologram like circumstances like that right. scene that that episode where Odo and Kira were in that cave together like there are things that can't be believed when you interact with them. Yeah. And I thought the same thing. I thought this was just a large-scale projection meant to trick them somehow at this moment in time. Right. So as Odo grows more and more shaken, Thrax takes Odo to the security office, and Odo gets another at-bat with Thrax, encouraging him to look for the truth, to sort of set aside his own convictions about... Only going for the convictions and not going for what the truth may be. Yeah. Well, Thrax, like, is season one Odo in a lot of ways. He is, like, rule of law and order ahead of all other considerations. Right. Like, whether the law is just or not is less important. And that's kind of like the the big quote about Odo at the beginning of the episode is that he may have worked for the Cardassians, but justice was his only master. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think Thrax is is there to stand as our example of why that is bullshit. Right. As soon as Thrax said he knows where they're from and who they are, I expected the curtain to fall and the whole thing to dissolve. Yeah. It's not exactly what we get. We get maybe the flashiest shot in the episode, which is this rack focus into Odo. And then we cut to the upper level of the promenade and, and the execution scene. Yeah, they do the the Spielberg push in to execution scene, right? And it's uh, it's Garrick, Dax, and Cisco now being executed. So Dax has taken Odo's place as one of the accused. No more watermelon for her. <laughs> She's in big trouble. Yeah, and Odo's like, wait, 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 like I was one of the terrorists like two scenes ago, and Thrax says there were only three terrorists. And it, it starts to become clear that this is all this is all an imagining. What's momentarily confusing is whether or not Odo is Odo to the Thrax and the Ducat that we get in this scene, because they appear to be talking to Odo like he's him and not the Bajoran that he was cosplaying as earlier. Right. He starts to like fight 
the Cardassians and take their weapons. And again, we cut, and now everybody's back in their in their standard uniforms. And across the way, we see Odo in the same costume that we've seen Thrax in before. Uh, looking on as these three Bajorans get executed. There's some really great work being done here, and it made me think a lot about how you do this edit-wise, how you always know where you are geographically in this scene, and how creepy it is when they do this jump. Like, for all the action to be happening on the pedestrian overpass where they're at, and then to have that move to the other one, I think is so well done here, and I think like I think you can screw it up pretty easily by breaking the spell, but it remains creepy throughout. It really does. This is when Cisco and the gang turn to Odo, and still in this kind of fantasy world, he kind of confesses to the crime of having been the lawman on Tarak Nor when a grave miscarriage of justice uh, occurred. These yeah. three guys got executed for a crime they definitely didn't commit you know the same style of bombing continued to take place after they were executed and odo has never been able to feel entirely clean since that happened for good reason it's really fucked up and sort of not in keeping with what you thought about him up until now you like to imagine a law enforcement person that regrets the the miscarriages of justice you know yeah. Like, there are so many examples of, like, my wife has done a little work with the Innocence Project, and, like, they've gotten so many people off of death row or, like, exonerated of crimes that they didn't commit that, like, the DA fought tooth and nail to keep them in jail and keep them on death row, not necessarily because anybody there, like, believed that they committed the crime, but just of, like, pride, you know? Yeah, that kind of scorekeeping is, is ridiculous. Like, we should, everyone should rejoice when something like that is turned over it's so fucked up that that's not how it is though and so that's what uh what breaks the spell and they all come out of the clip show devices like they're kind of looking at each other and looking at odo like yee <laughs> we just uh spent a very fucked up time inside your imagination odo not a good feeling, I think, for anyone. What Bashir tells Odo is that when their runabout ran into the plasma field, the injuries were such that his golden brain was reaching out to make a sort of connection like the kind that is made in the golden link. He great linked everybody. Yeah, and so like he telepathically linked with everyone else in the runabout, and that linked them all together in this mind maze that they were in. Yeah. It would make a fascinating paper. I was very disappointed that this was all a dream, that this all took place inside the snow dome of Odo's imagination. Right. But the way that the end of the episode is handled, I think, went a long way toward redeeming that. I agree. Because there's then a confrontation between Odo and Major Kira that's very intense because she feels utterly betrayed by what she's learned, you know, in Odo having filed a report about this thing that happened seven years ago. Like, he was the paragon of justice, and everybody believed that he served justice over any other master. And 
it breaks that for her. He's no longer, he doesn't have godlike morality. He, you know, and there are no easy answers about that, you know? I'm guilty. What more is there to say? I mean, it, it feels very, it feels very contemporary, right? Like we all are like walking around in this society that's like jailing infants on the border and like depriving immigrants of life-saving medical procedures and it's like fuck i like pay my taxes like i'm kind of complicit in this but i also don't feel complicit i don't know how to like process the like duality of that now what now i'm just another imperfect solid it makes it personal for her but also in a broad way like she vouched for him to keep his job after the occupation was over right yeah. Like there was a lot of grumbling about Odo remaining as constable afterward. And it was only his reputation of having someone with an inflappable code that allowed him to stay in his position. And I think in large degree because of Kira vouching for that. Yeah. And Kira's the one person for a variety of reasons that a truth like this would hurt the most. Talk about things you don't want your crush to find out about you. I mean, she starts by saying that she's just blown away by it, but the reality is, like, her faith in him has been shattered. Right. And that he doesn't know if it's even the only time that he's executed innocent people is a really dark button on this episode. And you're right, it totally redeems the the trip here in a pretty powerful way. Yeah. You really want to do this here now? Okay, okay, let's do it, do it. Did you like the whole episode, though, Ben? I really did like the episode. I think that, like, as a writer's room, you've got to know that a it was all a dream story is a really dangerous kind of fire to play with. Right. And, you know, like, one thing about about doing this podcast is, like, when you watch the episode, you have to throw yourself into watching the episode. You can't just, like, have it on and, like, fuck around and enjoy it for you know the light television hang it is oh, like shit you, you have to really like focus really well i i feel that way i, don't, I know you starting don't. now uh, that <laughs> that is what i will do it's my promise to you i'll but do it, better from now on ben it's a bit of a curse because when you when a this might be an it was all a dream episode starts sure knowing the failures that this show has had in the past you're very worried yeah, that they are going to bungle this because there are a lot of examples of times that they did bungle something. And they don't bungle this. It, it, they, they take this across the finish line beautifully. There are some problems with the episode, but they are not structural and they're not like the problems that come from stories retroactively not having had any stakes. This had stakes. It just, it, they weren't the stakes that it, was presenting to us as as the like like the stakes weren't these three people are going to get killed the stakes were we're going to find out that Odo has a much more complicated relationship with his job than we previously understood and this is his subconscious interrogating that it feels a lot like hard time part 2 because this shatters everything we knew about Odo and in the future i think it's going to rebuild him into whatever we know him as until the end of the series. Yeah. Whether or not this actually pays off the promise of of what we're doing to this character. I, I mean, Hard Time certainly didn't with O'Brien. But 
I think you you're safer making the it was all a dream episode when it does have consequences and it remains to be seen whether or not we get them here but but this ending is so strong that even if we never get anything else Kira's scene with Odo is so powerful that I think that that serves that purpose yeah did you like the episode Adam yeah I did I think I mean it's hard trek and I think these are some of my favorite episodes when they when they really lean into into someone's uh pathology this way yeah. especially when uh you know like Odo's pathology up until this point has been a lie yeah you know I would never think to compare this episode to the Risa episode that we just saw but like what did we get in both we got a deeply buried truth with a main character that ended up being the reason that a person acts acts the way they are. Yeah. You know? And You know what I thought a lot about watching this episode was all of the criticisms that are slung at both the like reboot Star Trek movies, but also Discovery specifically. It's like people say like like the people making this don't even like Star Trek as as an insult to the to mm-hmm. the content. And I kind of feel like this is an episode that makes the case that the people making Deep Space Nine don't even like Star Trek. Hmm. Which is not I it's not a bad thing or a good thing, I think. Like I think that they're like it's a world with a set of rules that kind of constrain the kinds of stories you can tell in some interesting ways, but also open up some interesting kinds of stories that you wouldn't be able to tell on other shows. And like anybody coming onto it as a writer that isn't just like a gushing fanboy is to a certain extent like, you know, fighting against those constraints. Yeah. And I think that there are a lot of people like in the fan community that that hate that feeling hate the feeling of this writer is fighting these constraints. Right. But in this episode, I feel like it, it achieves something so cool. I agree. I think there's room for that. Yeah. I mean, room for it, certainly if it's done well, and I think it was done well here. Well, do you want to see if uh, we have any well done priority one messages, Adam? Let's do. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental. 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 Yeah, it's extra. By the interest alone, could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of Priority One messages here. This one is of a personal nature. It's from Glee's Monkey, and it's to Ryan the Barber. It goes like this. Happy birthday, my friend. I can't believe it's been 25 years of drunk Shimoda's. I love you as much as Riker love consent and Worf hates doors. You are my number one. Aww. Uh, I wanted this message to reach you for your birthday, but let's say this message fell through a space butthole and is coming to you from the past, to all the undiscovered countries, to the future. How about that? That sounded like a nice toast. Yeah, and indeed this was meant to be, I think in July... Something. Oh, boy. Yeah. So the timing is not great. Uh, the meaning is there, though. Even if, even if the timing isn't. The meaning is there. That's what I would say. That's our that's our bad, and we're sorry. Well, maybe this will make it better, Ben. Our second priority one message is from Julian, and it is for Ben and Adam. And the message goes like this. 
fuck. Wow. Is Julian just saying fuck because Julian spent a hundred bucks and <laughs> I don't didn't know, get maybe. anything? Could be. Julian's doing things for the right reasons. That's what I would say. Yeah. Not in it to get anything out of it. Putting in the work. Contributing. That's what right. Julian's all about. Yeah. So, uh, we really appreciate it, Julian. And we really appreciate it, Glee's Monkey. <laughs> Uh, so if and if you would like to leave a priority one message, you can head over to maximumfund.org/jumbrotron, where a personal message is a hundred bucks and a commercial message is two hundred bucks, and they go a long way to supporting the production of this program. And also, if you have one that is timely, try and get on it like nine months in advance just to be safe. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Hey, Adam. It's that Ben. Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I think I'm going back-to-back Bashir. Wow. And I think it is for many of the same reasons that I gave Bashir the Shimoda for the last episode. He is in this episode very briefly. Mm-hmm. Sort of bookend Bashir is what we get. And I think astride either bookend, he's making jokes at inappropriate times. Right. He's uh, he's sort of being the bedraggled doctor about things. <laughs> and no one is really... He's saying something that could be taken offense to, given yeah. the circumstances, but no one is is outwardly taking offense or calling him on his bullshit. Right. And I think that kind of subtlety is something that I try to deploy in my life every day. <laughs> like what what can you sneak in into a pleasant conversation that that amuses you and only you and that's what Bashir's doing he's amusing himself conversationally and that's why he's my drunk Shimoda nice what about you Ben I'm gonna give it to Odo um and I think the moment that made him the Shimoda for me was that uh that conversation where he's in the cell and Thrax is outside the cell like we've seen Odo have somebody locked up plenty of times maybe nobody better suited toward imagining how you can play into the psychology of your jailer than Odo because he's been the jailer yeah and yet he has zero chill in that scene like you've got to keep a cooler head you've got to like get this person thinking you are a rational person worth trusting and listening to like like if you're just, if you start by yelling at your jailer, like they're not going to hear you out on your complicated story. Yeah, and I was really expecting uh, a hold me back moment there. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's not happening. Yeah. So uh, for that reason, Odo is my drunk Shimoda. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, 
we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, you can't hold us back from reviewing another episode of Deep Space Nine, Ben. What episode is it going to be? The next episode of Deep Space Nine is Season 5, Episode 8, The Ascent. Stranded on a desolate planet, longtime adversaries Odo and Quark must rely on each other to survive. Fun. Fun. <laughs> little picture of them wearing like great big silver coats. Oh. The, uh, thumbnail there. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder what conference they'll be coming back from. <laughs> you would think that Quark would put like a knit hat on to cover those ears. I bet they get real chilly yeah. in a cold place. Yeah, I bet that too. That's got to hurt. 
chilly ears hurt. I also wonder how we're going to watch this episode, Ben. I'll tell you how we're going to be watching this episode. <laughs> because I am going to gach.biz slash game, where we keep the game of buttholes, the will of the prophets. Currently, our runabout is on square 25. Uh, a little ahead, we have a the naked now square. All right. Which would require us to record an episode from the bathtub. <laughs> Great. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. All right, buddy. I've got the dice in my hand. Rolling them around. Tossed them. Whoa! Adam. I rolled a three. Landed on the naked now. What? So you're going to have to borrow your wife's laptop so that you can uh, set it up in the bathroom. <laughs> I can't believe this. I really <laughs> thought this was the one we would never hit. <laughs> this is so dumb. <laughs> the sound quality on the next episode is going to be extraordinarily dubious. What the fuck, dude? Really? <laughs> All right. <laughs> wow. Hey, you know who we don't shout out often enough? Felipe Sobriero, who did all the little illustrations for uh, for the game of Buttholes. Oh, yeah, they're great. Craig Anderson, who, uh, who did all the coding. And uh, Andrew Wang Hoyer, who, uh, who put it all in beautiful L-Cars formatting. Yeah, I got to say I'm not upset with them. I am uh, suspicious of the coding, though, maybe, given the square we just landed on. Everybody that's looked at the GitHub has said that the code is clean. (laughs) I didn't do anything. I I rolled it, dude. You ready to be in a a bath of your own filth for 90 minutes? (laughs) Just getting colder and colder? I'm going to be real clean when I get in that bath. Tell you what. What were we thinking with this square? Unbelievable. We're not smart men, Adam. No, not at all. We're uh, we're lashing out at our jailers. That's what we're doing. <laughs> we're lashing out at our jailers, and our jailers, they us. <laughs> the worst kind. Well, that will be that. If you'd like to uh, continue to support this very stupid show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, if that serves as any kind of encouragement... To support its ongoing production, please help us buy warm bath water. Yeah. By going to maximumfund.org slash donate. There's a non-zero chance that one of us is going to drop something electronic into the bathwater next episode, and that will be the last episode. And so, uh, you know, our wives will be very sad, but uh, maybe like a little bit of, you know, ongoing financial remuneration. We'll soften the blow of that a little bit. Hey, we're using bubbles, right? Oh, yeah, I gotta get some bubble bath. Yeah, I've gotta do that, too. I don't want to look at myself that long. (laughs) You don't want to see what's going on underneath the water? My shrinking, pruning body over the course of 90 minutes? No thanks. (laughs) It's gonna be awful. Um, So uh, head to MaximumFun.org slash donate support the show you'll get uh, all of our bonus content and all of the other bonus content as well 
donate to the show, we'll uh, we'll send you one of those uh, pickling jars full of our bathwater. I don't want to keep that promise. <laughs> I don't either. I don't, I don't want those creeps having my bathwater out there. You know what? You support the show on a $200 a month level, I'll send you a glass of bathwater. If you can prove that you actually did that, I'll send you a glass of bathwater, too. Yeah. There you go. It's a deal. Wow. You, you creepo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you dirty, dirty motherfuckers. <laughs> That's gross as hell, but it's worth it. Two hundo a month. <laughs> And you know it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the price of being creeped out. I have a yeah. number. It's $200 <laughs> per month. Yeah. We should uh, we should thank our buddy Adam Ragusia who made all the custom theme music for this show. He of course basing his work off the work of Dark Materia who made the Picard song, our original theme music that is playing under my voice right now. It's great. I drive around playing that song all the time. And then when I uh, drive near people, I roll up my windows. Just roll them up. Don't want them to hear it. We should thank Bill Tilly, who makes uh, hilarious trading cards about every episode. Catch, Collect them all by going to the Greatest Gen hashtag on Twitter or just looking for his username, BillTilly1973. Of course, Adam's on Twitter, at CutForTime. I'm on there, at BenjaminAHR. Yeah! There are Facebook groups... There are Reddit subs. There are all kinds of places to talk about the show with other friends of DeSoto, and we encourage you to do so and not be a dick. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that uh, slowly turns into a raisin. (laughs) You know, they look really cold in the picture. Of the episode. We're going to be very cold by the time that bathwater cools off. I don't know how we're going to do this. This is going to be just a very uncomfortable episode. <laughs> That's what I'll say. Wow. Yeah. Great. Fuck. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported